0: to the Med Street Journal.
1: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Med Street Journal. My name is Rodney Hu and today I'm joined by another very special guest, Richard Vasquez. He is the CEO of Safe Start Medical and Safe Start Medical is a healthcare IT company comprised of partnership surgeons, healthcare experts, and engineers specializing in the development, distribution, and marketing of innovative surgical safety and efficiency applications. And right now, they're actively working to innovate in the world of surgical operations to smooth workflows, create operating efficiencies, enhance patient safety, and increase patient satisfaction. So with that being said, um, Richard, welcome to the podcast.
0: Thank you very much for inviting me. Pleasure to be here with you.
1: No problem. So yeah, let's just jump right into it. Why don't you give people a background of who you are and kind of how you got into healthcare and kind of what led you to starting Safe Start?
0: Well, uh, actually, I'm a general surgeon by trade. So I practiced general surgery, uh, I hate to say how long, uh, but I finished my residency in 70, 1974. So uh, I practiced general surgery in uh, various small community hospitals, and I was invited to join the uh, faculty at Northwestern back in around 70, 1978, worked in the VA uh, Lakeside and the ICU, ran that uh, over at VA Lakeside. And I did surgery over there as well. And then I started to operate as well at Northwestern Memorial Hospital because that was actually founded I think around 1980 by joining together Passivant and Wesley Hospitals. And uh, the, by the way, those two hospitals were kitty-corner from each other, so they, just construct, they ultimately connected everything with bridges. But um, so I, I worked there for years uh, and uh, operated there, and operated at a surgery center, uh, several surgery centers nearby, but predominantly one of them over on Michigan Avenue uh, in Chicago. And um, decided uh, as I as I approached uh, the age where I, I can uh, maybe make changes and move into something else, stop seeing and taking care of patients, um, which I did for, like I say, about 50 years, Um, maybe it was time to do something different. And so uh, I decided to uh, put a startup together called Safe Start and try to um, address a lot of the dysfunction that I identified uh, going on around me. Uh, Every time I tried to start a case, it didn't matter where I was. The problems were essentially carbon copied from one place to the other. We're just different locations, but same problem, different location.
1: Got you, got you. So when you're starting Safe safe Start, um, like you said, your background as a general surgeon, what was a common problem that you experienced as a surgeon or that you've seen in the industry that really wasn't being solved for you? And so you decided to go about making yeah. it better.
0: <laughs> the, um, the problem is that it, it Surgery is no different uh, than any other of the uh, uh, professional disciplines, and or or even uh, you can compare it even to law enforcement. I mean, we all remember what 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 happened to us as a result of silo thinking around uh, 9-11, and uh, the same sort of silos exist in surgery. Uh, you know, I'm I'm speaking, of course, uh, in that situation where agencies didn't talk to each other and didn't share information. And curiously enough, in surgery, the same thing happens, uh, not intentionally, but because the people work in silos, they're in their own little microcosm, their own world. So the people who are scheduling surgery in the office uh, don't see themselves as being um, incorporated into the fabric of the care team. They see themselves as being isolated, and uh, the patients um, feel the same sense of isolation, they're un, they were unfamiliar with what, what really was going to happen to them. What did the record look like and so forth? And then the facility was uh, in its own world, right? So these are real opportunities for handoff and communication errors that can result in patient harm and, and uh, mistakes, you know, especially in, pa- in areas of patient safety. So we, I decided, look, there's got to be a way to get All these people on the same page. So that everybody's looking at the same thing uh, and that, that there aren't any mysteries and there's no secrets. No, that nobody's keeping a secret actively, if, uh, but uh, the, the, by, by secret, I mean, there's uh, no, no, no person who's missing out on information. These people are all necessary to do an operation. You can't do an operation without a patient. Simple,
1: you know? <laughs> exactly, exactly. So you guys on your website... Pride yourself on preventing never events. So, can you explain what a never event is just for the people who aren't fully aware of what that may mean?
0: Absolutely. The, the original description came out in about 2003, and it was limited to surgical uh, misadventures that were uh, characterized by what were called Wispies, W S P E, apostrophe S, Wispies. Uh, wrong site, wrong wrong patient, wrong operation, right? And, and now you could add to that even wrong implant, okay? So these are things that uh, in, in starting an operation that you never really want to have happen. You'd like to be operating on the correct patient, doing the correct operation on the correct side of the patient, right? Uh, so these are pretty basic things. Now, unfortunately... Um, the word "never event" became somewhat diluted uh, when all of you know one one could say, "Should any patient who's in a hospital develop a pressure sore, you know, a bed a, a bed sore? Of course not." So they started to call that "never events." Should any patient who's in an operating room have an instrument left inside of them or a sponge? Well, of course not. So that that became a, a never event, right? And there are numerous never, should anybody become septic or die of sepsis, bacterial infection, viral infection, uh, especially if it's caused by the hospital, which are called nosocomial infections? Of course not. So that became a never event. So pretty much, it became to be like a Christmas tree, you know, where people were hanging all these ornaments on it. We're still concerned with, from a surgeon's viewpoint, the very first thing you want to do is get the right patient, Get the right operation, get the right side, uh, the correct side, and and uh let's start out right. If you can't start out right, you can't finish right, that's for sure.
1: Okay, awesome. So really just focusing around patient safety and optimizing every part of the workflow that the surgeon has to go through and the patient as well. And so just making sure every all the you dot your eyes and cross your T's sort of
0: thing, right? And well that's so, correct. That's correct. And, and what became apparent to me is, uh, I mean, there, there, there's, I call it sort of the, uh, the scavenger hunt of trying to get an operation started, right? You know, there are all these basic rules that people follow and, uh, you know, we would, we would uh, serially, re- repetitively be uh, accused of not getting a, a consent form signed by the patient. Well, of course we did. I did that all the time in the office. They lost it at the place where I was going. Mm-hmm. So uh, th- then they'd say, "Oh, you didn't. You didn't do a history and physical on the patient." Oh, I, okay, fine. I, I I've never done this before. I wouldn't know that would I that I needed a history and physical. Of course, I did one. What do you think? You just lost the bloody thing. <laughs> okay, so uh, the surgeons became uh, somewhat defensive uh, about this and. I remember, I I mean, I started carrying everything in on my iPad, right? Because I said, look, not only did I send it to you, but here's the date I sent it to you, and here's the bloody thing, right? So don't tell me I didn't do it. That's the first thing. Just stop that right now, okay? (laughs) And then I would see surgeons come to the operating room, and this is in the days of electronic healthcare records now. This is not in the old days, okay? With manila folders filled up with the printouts of all this stuff. Because once again they were being accused of not doing things, and they're saying, "Okay, whatever. I have copies of everything. Copy it. Put it in your chart. Scan it. Do whatever you want with it, but don't tell me that I didn't do this." Okay, so so that w- you'd have the scavenger hunt. And a lot of times, uh, uh, if you were lucky, a lucky surgeon, you might have a a PA or a, or a nurse practitioner who was kind of riding shotgun for you, right? And looking and seeing, oh my gosh, this stuff is missing. Where could it be? And they'd hunt it down and this and that at the last minute, right? And try to get everything all together. Um, And that worked out pretty well. But there were times when there were people yelling at each other and crying and all kinds of things going on. And I said, this is insanity. How can we keep doing this over and over again? It's crazy. So, I felt that we get everybody looking at the same playbook, right? It's like people playing a game, you know, and you're playing football, but it's soccer and I'm playing football and it's American and we're trying to play. It's not working out. You know, we're using different playbooks. It just doesn't work when we're on different playbooks. Mm -hmm. So I thought, let's get everybody looking at the same playbook, the same information, including the patient, so that the patient doesn't have to be surprised by things. Nobody likes surprises when they're having an operation. The patient doesn't like it. The nurses don't like it, and the surgeon hates it. so why are we why are we setting ourselves up for this all the time? and yes, electronic medical records could maybe help right and they they to in some cases they've helped a bit, and in some cases they've actually made it even more difficult to get things done. But it wasn't a panacea. People were were, were thinking, well, oh, this is going to be from heaven. These these electronic health records, that will be from heaven. We won't have any of these problems anymore. Well, even if people were using the same electronic health record in the same institution, they still had trouble. People would scan records into the wrong patient's chart, so you still couldn't find them. Then (laughs) it's like, Rodney, it was like, Try to figure out how many ways you can make this a mess. And they, they've done it. Or you have people who in the offices who have some different version of the electronic health record and they don't communicate well, or the offices don't actually have the same EHR. They actually have a different one and there's no communication whatsoever. So they're, they're right back to being in in the paper silo. So we, you know, I was, one of the reasons that we put the safe start together was to address this. um, It's a disconnection really between people at places that should be definitely connected because they should have only one thing in mind, getting this patient taken care of correctly the first time.
1: Nice. And so you mentioned a couple, a lot of good points, actually. And one that really stuck out for me is like the old way versus the new way, right? Having the old manila folders and then transitioning to the (laughs) EHRs. But even the old way has some pros, but the new way has some pros as well. But it's that transition phase on trying to get people onto the same page and trying to get them away from the old way and more towards the new way. But even as you're doing that, like you're trying to implement technology to help do that. And it's that transition on using the technology that really leads to a lot of miscommunication and people scanning things wrong or putting patient information in the wrong areas like you said so how does like safe start help bridge that gap so to say
0: and make well, it that's a good it's a very good question rodney um let's let's just take a simple example the uh, the person who's a scheduler in the surgeon's office or clinic right this is not going to be somebody who's being paid at the consultant level Right, <laughs> they're they're more like the minimal wage people, right? Yeah. And um, generally, when uh, so they, they receive verbal and some written information about we're going to do Rodney's right shoulder today. The, the, the operation schedule him for his right shoulder. Okay, fine. Well, people make a little mistakes. I'm the scheduler. I'm facing Rodney. I'm thinking about my right shoulder. But when I look at him, that's his left shoulder, and he's facing me, right? So my right shoulder on the same side as his left shoulder. So there we go. There is the beginning. I call the surgery center up, or I call it, or or I even do it electronically. I don't care how you make this mistake, but I'm going to schedule you for the incorrect shoulder, whether it's digitally or on paper, because I have made a basic error right at the, in, right at the get-go, of yeah. uh, looking at you, and it's, you know, your left shoulder is my right shoulder, and, I, and so my, for a moment, that's the way I'm thinking, boom, I schedule it incorrectly. So now I set something in motion, okay? Now, then, then, then there comes a whole process of, oh, well, shouldn't, shouldn't this be uh, in, in other areas? Well, yeah, it should be in the, in the consent form and so forth. Okay, some people, some of the, many of the facilities now have made it so that the consent form has to be filled out the morning of surgery. It's something which I think is a big disservice to the patient, terrible disservice to the patient. Uh, and we can talk about that along the way. But so now the, now the facility has got the thing scheduled incorrectly, the operation scheduled incorrectly, and Rodney's now got his left shoulder up on the whiteboard is being done. That's the one we're going to do. So now the dutiful nurse goes to Rodney and says, okay, I want you to sign this consent. Now I can tell you, you might think that patients don't make mistakes. They make them all the time. A lot of them don't know right from left anyway. (laughs) But just sign it. Okay, so now we're starting to get a couple of, it's going to get harder to stop this snowball that's coming, right? Because we got it scheduled incorrectly. We now have a piece of paper. That says it's going to be done on the left side. And perhaps you have a nerve block. And now the, the, the anesthesia person could keep falling into that thing and now block the left side. So now you've got a mark on your left side. You've had a nerve block on your left side. Your left arm, you don't even know you have a left arm because it's numb. You're nervous. You're cold. They took your glasses. You're frightened and anxious. So all this stuff is happening to you and and you still haven't figured out that everybody's headed down the path to the wrong limb. Now the surgeon you would say we should come in and they'll save the day. Maybe they will and maybe they won't. They're in a hurry, everything's set up, there's a mark, you're blocked. Now maybe the surgeon figures it out. Then you get to see a temper tantrum. (laughs) Okay. And I'll tell you why. You're going to be canceled you are going to be canceled that's the end of your day for surgery if you're lucky if you're unlucky you get the wrong side operated on okay yeah. if you're lucky you're canceled you might say well why am i canceled well if you think it's you're a little disabled having your left arm blocked try going home with both arms blocked mm. It's not going to be a fun ride. You can't even get in a cab. You can't get in a car. Nobody can pick you up because both of your arms are numb. You can't even get in the car. Okay. So,
1: yeah, for sure. No.
0: So, the rule is if they make a mistake like that, they cancel the operation. So, about that time, the patient is saying, I don't know if I even want these guys to operate on me. You know? I mean, they can't seem to get it right. And so, why, why, why all these opportunities? Human error. Human error is a big problem. I and mean, people, people uh, have a lot of trouble processing text. Our brains are not text processors. When you think about how long we've been having written documents and written speech, it's a, it's only a couple thousand years. Mm-hmm. But, but But the cavemen were walking around trying to decide if it was smart to go where this animal was over here or not. They didn't know it was a saber-toothed tiger. They didn't know what to call it because they they'd never seen that word. That word hadn't been invented yet, but they could recognize a saber-toothed tiger when they saw one, right? <laughs> yeah, for sure. I'm not going over there, okay? <laughs> so, that's been, so that's been going on for millions of years. So we've become, our brain is an image processor. And it's not a text process. So we remember about 80% of the images that are put in front of us, and we remember about 15% of the text. So what comes to the scheduler is some text. And that's so they're, they're not operating from images. In Safe Start, they're actually getting an image of you with the correct shoulder already indicated and signed by the surgeon.
1: Nice. So rather than so what I'm getting from this, because everything you're saying m- makes a ton of sense, especially from the healthcare professional's point of view, because my background is in MRI. And so just to get somebody into the MRI machine, they have to go through the schedule or go through the receptionist, and then they come to me. Then I I've experienced that where I scan the right shoulder, but it's supposed to be the left. And then that information goes to the rad and then he reads it, sends it to the doctor. So because there's so many moving parts and moving pieces in this process there, and like you said, human error, like it just increases the percent of human error happening. And at the end of the day, it doesn't really affect us as much as it affects the patient because we are trying to make the patient journey as smooth as possible, right? So I think that's why, like you said, everyone being part of the same playbook, having like one area where they can have and pull all the data that they need and everyone starts starts off good on step one. Right. So I definitely see the value in what you're saying.
0: I mean, I, I, I remember a conversation uh, with the radio. I mean, you're reminding me of things, right? you reminded me of a radio therapist and a the conversation I had with him. And he said, if you don't think this business can't happen in radiotherapy, you are wrong. Um, we, we were just getting set to start radiation therapy on a patient. And somebody walked into the room and said, who's this guy? <laughs> so what do you mean, who's this guy? That's the guy we're radiating his prostate. They said, Yeah, I don't know that maybe you're doing that, but I don't know who he is. (laughs) And they said, You got the wrong guy on the table here. Oh my god. Well, it turned out that they had a guy who was he was a Hispanic guy and he was not terribly fluent in English. And he just sort of said yes to everything that they asked him. (laughs) Okay. So he was just being nice and trying to be cooperative. But he had actually volunteered to have his prostate (laughs) radiated when it wasn't what was supposed to be being done. So so you're exactly correct. And of course, in MRI, you have that other situation, uh, you know, with the patient being in cross-section. And a lot of people make right-left errors there because, you know, that patient's going to come through that machine, and that right side is going to be on the left side of that X-ray. You Mm -hmm. know? (laughs) So you could even use this product, as you might suspect, for interventional radiology or interventional cardiology. And that's one of the reasons we want to get the patient so uh, involved in this, okay? Because they're not going to start an argument with you. You're the technician or you're the surgeon or you're the radiologist. And the patient doesn't want to see if they can get in a verbal altercation with you on their way into the machine or into the operating room. You know, and so we've, you know, we have patients come in and they've pre-marked their leg and we don't really like that because they've made mistakes about 10, at least 10% of the anesthesia mistakes of that nature are the patients fighting with the doctor and insisting that their doctor is incorrect.
1: (laughs) That's why it's important to have that, that playbook that we keep coming back to, right? (laughs) Um, so I, another qu- question that I have, because you just mentioned the patient again, is like, what is the long term value of Safe Start and how they can help the patient journey, right? Because I know you have the software and everything that kind of helps just improve communication. But where where do you see this like long term applying into the field?
0: Well, we're going to be uh, we're rather responsive. I mean, we're not a big company. We're a small company. So we can be a little bit more responsive to the changing needs. Mm. We can be a little bit avant-garde, right? So uh, I don't think we need to wait uh, for people. Uh, in other words, we don't need to be followers. We can be leaders. So we have some ideas about how we can make substantive improvements in the process that people haven't started to use or think about, okay? And they're already on our drawing board right now. And, uh, you know, with a little bit of commercial success here, I think we can get to the point where we can start implementing these things. And again, each time we do one of these things, it's going to make the patient that much safer, that much more comfortable. And consequently, believe it or not, that will make the staff happy too because people don't go to work to make mistakes okay they get involved with them and they try to prevent them but they don't go there to make a mistake so making making things as safe for the patient as you can makes a happy staff and a happy staff can make a happy patient and uh, you really have to have everybody be happy you can't have like right now, the system is essentially doctor-centric and has been, and it can't be doctor-centric. It's got to be patient-centric, and, and SafeStart has moved ahead of the crowd in the patient-centricity. Mm-hmm. I mean, we believe that the patient should be able to see everything all the time. They should be able to download it. They should be able to print it out. They should be able to send it to somebody else. Um, And you might say, why would I want to send something to something else? Well, why would I send it to someone else? What? Well, you know, that's because you're a young guy. But your dad's not that young. And in 20 years, he's going to be older yet. And you're going to start feeling more responsible, right? And you're going to say, yeah, I'd like you to share that with me. I want to see what you signed up for. I want to go over the whole record myself. Dad, I don't know if I want you in there without me looking at it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and so that's why you might want to share. And of course, I think the smartest patients, by the way, are people who bring somebody with them to the important visits. Gotcha. You, gotcha. And you. you mentioned
1: something that we've, we talk a lot about patient safety, right? And making sure that the patient's journey is as smooth as possible. But when you have a compromised data or workflow, that it doesn't just affect the patient, it affects the staff as well, because it's just more headaches that they have to deal with that could have easily been prevented. And so I think that's a very interesting point that you brought up.
0: Well, thank you i but you you can see where I'm coming from with this. this for years, they used to try to keep things secret from patients. I mean, the patients actually wanted to be treated like children. <laughs> they did. I mean, you know, dial it back a hundred years, right. They didn't, firstly, they, they thought that the surgeon and the doctor was God, and why would they ever go against God, right? And so if the, if the surgeon and their, or their physician wanted to do something, who were they to question? But now things have changed, and what we're encouraging people to do is don't just have things done to you and just, you know, be a mushroom, you know, just sit there. Be involved. Be part of it so that if there, if you, if something's coming up and it's going wrong, you know. So, for instance, in our in our product, we send all the information to the patient that's going to be used in this operation, for the, all of their data for review, and we ask the patients to review it. And if they disagree with something, to please say what they disagree with, and do it now. Don't don't wait till the morning of surgery where it's going to take an act of God to get that business changed and get everybody to accept it. And, you know, uh, I mean, in the old days I and mean, the big thing was like to be allergic to latex. Well, that's enough to get your operation off to a very late start. If, if they were using latex products, uh, then the, now they got to throw them out. They got to open the non-latex ones. If there, if there are non-latex ones, that should all be, Figured out a week or two before the operation, not 10 minutes before they're going to take you into the operating room. Yeah. Agreed. <laughs> All right. So we, we want to get, what we want is for you to get there and as a patient and your record to get there in pristine shape and ready to go. Not, not needing a reparative, major reparative work on the, on the paperwork. That could all be done in advance. Why would you try, wait until the last minute to try to solve these problems that shouldn't even exist? And it just—it just the patients can lose confidence in the doctors and the staff too. they're thinking, "What's with you guys? This, this isn't the first time you've done this. Why can't you get this right?" You know. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly.
1: Bring up a lot of excellent points, and I know we've been talking a lot about patient um, safety, their journey, and just improving basic operational workflows Um, but we're coming up towards the end of the um, interview the episode and I like to end each episode on a little lighter note with something I like to call the rapid fire round okay so I'm gonna ask you a set of questions and you just give me whatever answer you come up with okay okay all right question number one what is your favorite book of all time
0: well, I have a uh, I have favorite book, a set of books. I, I really always liked the books that Malcolm Gladwell wrote. And it didn't matter to me which one you picked. It could be uh, the first one I read in this, I think, was the first one in, this, uh, in the series, which was called The Outliers. But um, that was, that's an absolutely, uh, one of my absolute favorite books. I'd say toss up between that and the book that Charles Duhigg wrote called The Power of Habit. And if you haven't read The Power of Habit, I suggest you read it. You'll find yourself in there somewhere, but it may not be the way you want to see yourself. Okay? It's about all of us and our being victims of habit. So that, I, it's a toss-up between those two.
1: Okay, okay. Question number two, who is the most influential person in your life or career?
0: Well, that's hard to say. Um, seriously, it wasn't my father who was actually a surgeon. I mean, he was convinced I wasn't going to be a surgeon anyway. It was going to be something else. So probably the chief of surgery during my residency, a guy named, a really, really great gentleman named Harry Southwick, who was a head and neck surgeon predominantly. But he was very, very knowledgeable outside of his area of specialization and very, um, a very kind and gentle guy. And, uh, he was the guy who pulled me on the side and said, you know, you're one of the most talented guys that's ever come through this place, but if you don't shut up, you're going to get kicked out. Okay. <laughs> I remembered that. Okay.
1: <laughs> you need someone like that in your life. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Awesome. Um, question number three. What is one goal you want to accomplish this year?
0: <laughs> I want to turn SafeStart into a commercially viable you know, product. I think it's way past being a minimum viable product, as a lot of SafeStarts have just, I mean, not SafeStarts, excuse me, startups. A lot of startups have something that's a really minimum viable product. We're past that point. We've got a product that actually functions rather well. It's now time to commercialize it.
1: Awesome, awesome. And then last but not least, what is one piece of advice excuse me you would give to your twenty year old self to my twenty year old self
0: <laughs> yeah oh wow um just be persistent um you know once you select your 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 ro- your route and just be laser focused on it, don't let anything move you away and just keep pursuing it diligently. You'll eventually get to where you want to be.
1: Awesome. Awesome. I think that is an excellent piece of advice and a perfect way to end today's episode. Um, So Richard, I just want to thank you again for just jumping on and kind of sharing what you've been working on in the industry and how Safe Start is really um, tackling the problems of patient safety and the organization. Um, So yeah, thank you again.
0: Well, thank you so much for uh, conducting this interview. I really appreciated it. You did a great job. Thank you. you.
1: All righty, guys. Catch you guys on the next episode. Have a good one.